Mark chapter 9, starting reading at verse 2. This is God's word. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things, and how it is written concerning the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Our affirmation of faith today is Psalm 40, which we have just sung. And we're going to read through the first five verses. This is what we believe as Christian people. The Psalms teach us the things that we believe. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the mary clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear, and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust, and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Well, boys and girls, I want to talk to you about this psalm, and this psalm is all about God rescuing his people. And it made me think of some children's TV programs. I wonder if you know who these people are. Is anybody here? They're not people, are they? They're dogs. Anybody know who those dogs are? Anybody want to shout out? Nobody wants to shout out? Do you want me to tell you? That's the Paw Patrol, isn't it? Any of the grown-ups ever seen Paw Patrol before? If you haven't seen Paw Patrol, you're missing out. Paw Patrol's a great show. And here's what happens in Paw Patrol. Nearly every time 
somebody gets into trouble and the pups have to rescue them. And Chase says, Chase is on the case. And off they go to rescue the person that's in trouble. Paw Patrol are always rescuing people. What about these ones? Does anybody know who these are? Have you ever seen those ones before? These are called the rescue bots. The rescue bots. And they're a bit like transformers because they're vehicles that turn into kind of robots. And they're all vehicles that rescue people. So you can see one's a fire engine, one's an ambulance, and they go and rescue people. And in these TV programs, people always seem to be getting into trouble. And then the heroes have to come and rescue them. What about this guy? Anybody know who this guy is? It's Fireman Sam, isn't it? And Fireman Sam has been about for a long, long time. And whenever I was little, I used to watch Fireman Sam. And there was a boy in Fireman Sam, and maybe you've heard his name. He's called Norman Price. Have you ever heard of Norman Price? Norman Price is a bold boy in, in Fireman Sam, and he's always getting up to no good. And Norman Price keeps getting himself into trouble, and Fireman Sam has to come and rescue him. And in all these programs, in Paw Patrol and in the Rescue Bots and in Fireman Sam, people keep getting into trouble and they have to be rescued. (coughs) Psalm 40 tells us that that's what it's like for us. Psalm 40, boys and girls, tells us that the sin in our lives gets us into trouble. It gets us into bother and we need to be rescued. Psalm 40 actually describes it as a horrible pit, miry clay. It describes our sin as as this dirty mess that pulls us down. But it also tells us that there's a rescuer. And it's not Chase and it's not Rocky and it's not Zuma. The rescuer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to be our rescuer. And he's better than the rescue bots. And he's better than Fireman Sam. Jesus is the rescuer who can lift us out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay. Out of the dirt and mess of sin in our lives. Jesus can take our sin away from us. He can rescue us. And he can clean us up. That's what Psalm 40 tells us. And then it tells us, not only does he take us out of the muck, and the mire. Jesus sets our feet upon a rock. He makes us safe. He makes us secure. So boys and girls, next time you're watching a TV program and somebody gets into trouble, somebody gets into bother, and they need to be rescued, I want you to remember that Jesus is the ultimate rescuer. Jesus is the one who has come to rescue us from the sin in our lives. And we should put our trust in him. Let me say a prayer for the boys and girls. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a rescuer who saves his people. And we thank you that you can rescue us from the sin in our lives. I pray for the boys and girls that they would put their hope and they would put their trust in you 
to be the only one who can save them. I pray that you would be with us and you would bless us as we know that you are the one who takes us out of the muck and mire and sets our feet upon a rock. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to sing together now. We're going to sing God of Grace, Amazing Wonder. We're going to sing this line, Oh, the miracle of mercy, Jesus reaches down to me. We're stuck in the pit and Jesus reaches down and rescues us. We'll stand as we sing together. On Monday past, there was a show on ITV in the morning called The Best 100 or The 100 Best Walks in Britain, something like that. I don't know if anybody noticed that on the television. I suppose the the new year is a time whenever people resolve to get out into the the fresh air. Uh, They want to tramp off the Christmas indulgence with a bit of walking. And there were many walks of different lengths and difficulties in this television program. I I didn't watch the whole show. It would seem that there were walks from all over the country. I think it was voted for by the public. One of the walks in the top five was Scaffell Pike. 
Scaffell Pike is a mountain in the Lake District in England and it's famous because it's the highest mountain in England. Scaffell Pike, the highest mountain in England. And as the programme discussed the walk to the top of Scaffell Pike, they interviewed a man who had climbed it dozens and dozens of times. And this man said something I found very interesting. He said, I love to stand on top of the mountain and say to myself, I am the highest person in England. Nobody is higher than me in the whole country. At first, it struck me as an odd way to think, being the highest person in the country. But actually, I think there's something biblical about this idea. This man connected being at the top of a mountain with some sort of glory. He thought of it as looking down on others, a a sort of human glory. But there is a way of thinking in the Bible about mountains and how mountains connect the earth with the heavens and they bring people into the presence of God's glory. At the very start of the Bible in the In the book of Genesis, we read about the Garden of Eden. And we're told that there are rivers flowing out from Eden. And that implies that Eden was on a mountain. That's where rivers flow from, isn't it? From the mountains. And it's in this Garden of Eden that God's presence, God's glory, is with his people. And then throughout the Old Testament, there are people who experience the presence of the living God on a mountain. Two notable examples, and especially important for us today, are Moses and Elijah. In Exodus 24, Moses went up on Mount Sinai, and the Bible tells us that he saw God. Well, he didn't really see God. God had to conceal his full glory. Otherwise, Moses and those with him would have been destroyed. Moses goes up on the mountain and he's in the glory of God, although it's a concealed glory. And then something similar happens with Elijah. Do you remember the story where God reveals himself to Elijah? He's not in the wind and he's not in the earthquake, but he's in a still, small voice. And again, that is God revealing some of his glory to Elijah on a mountain. And so to our passage today, Mark chapter 9, we have God's glory being revealed on a mountain. It's revealed on this mountain in the person of Jesus. And what I want you to understand today is that for us, we enter into God's glory through Jesus Christ. He is the one who brings us into the glory of God. If you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to have it open to Mark chapter 9. I think there's three ways of seeing the glory of God in Jesus here in Mark 9. Firstly, there's the experience of the disciples. Secondly, there's the appearance of the Old Testament. And finally, there's the transcendence of God the Father. Let's begin with the disciples, the experience of the disciples. You can see in verse 2 
that Mark records this happened six days after Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus is teaching that he must suffer and die. Now, we know that Mark is not normally certain about the timeline of events in his gospel. Usually it's just and then or immediately something happened. And with the exception of the passion narrative, this is the only time that Mark uses a time frame in his gospel. Six days after six days. So it would seem that this event in the life of Jesus had really etched itself into Peter's memory. So when Peter was telling Mark what happened and Mark was writing it down, Peter knew exactly when it happened. And that shouldn't surprise us. When we read this event, we would know for ourselves if we were to experience it, it would etch itself in our memory as well. So what happens? Jesus chooses his three closest disciples. He takes them up on a high mountain and there he is transfigured. The Greek word is metamorpheo, which is where we get the English word metamorphosis. And so what what Mark is trying to describe here is that Jesus was changed. His physical appearance was altered. The record we have of the brilliance of the brightness of Jesus's clothes is that there was no one and nothing on earth that could clean clothes so white. No amount of aerial or pearl or vanish could ever make something shine like Jesus' clothes in this moment. What an experience. What an experience for Peter, James and John to see the glory of God being displayed in Jesus. An amazing thing. I think it's worth noting a couple of things about it. First of all, it's important to say that Jesus wasn't added to in this moment. Jesus is the Son of God, but he is also God the Son. He's one with the Father, same in substance, and equal in power and glory. And so the glory being displayed here by Jesus is the glory that he has in and of himself. It's merely being revealed at this point rather than being veiled in his flesh. For the disciples, it's just like it was for Moses and Elijah. They're getting a glimpse, just a glimpse into the eternal and infinite glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's the second thing worth noting. The disciples are not consumed. They're not consumed by the glory of Christ here. They are able to see God and live. And that means that Jesus' full glory was not revealed to them. In a way, Jesus is bringing the disciples into the glory of God, but he's only giving them a wee peek. The glory of God would destroy them. And friends, that's why Jesus came veiled in flesh the first time. He came with his glory veiled in humanity because his glory would destroy all that is sinful from his presence. 
And so Peter's suggestion that to, to build tents and stay there in verse 5, while totally understandable, is also totally the wrong thing to do. You see, Jesus' glory is being revealed here to the three disciples, and they're probably thinking, this is it. We've arrived. This is heaven. We're the ones that that Jesus was speaking about six days ago in in verse 1 of chapter 9, the ones who will see the kingdom of God present with power. And so out of fear and wonder, Peter suggests, let's put up a few tents and we'll just stay here. For Peter, he doesn't need any more than this. It doesn't get better than this. But Peter's suggestion is foolish because it misunderstands the mission of Jesus. If they were to do what Peter said, it would mean the glory would come before the cross. That would upset Jesus' mission. Jesus came to make sure that people, human beings like you and me and Peter, he came to make sure that we could be present in the glory of God. He came to bring us into the glory of God. But in order for sinners like us to be in God's glory, will we need our sin to be dealt with? It needs to be removed from us. Otherwise, we would be destroyed. And so while Jesus gives the disciples a glimpse of his glory, he still has to go down the mountain and head for the cross. He has to endure suffering and shame and die the death of a sinner in our place. His death is the way for all people who trust in him to have their sin removed and then enter glory. So while Jesus is showing his glory to the disciples, it's not the full glory of God because they are still sinful human beings. They can't experience the the presence. They can't be in the presence of the holy and almighty God. And so the transfiguration, as amazing and as mind-blowing as it was for the disciples, Peter doesn't forget that it happened after six days. Well, it's only a glimpse. It's only a chink of the glory of God that will be revealed in the final day when Christ returns in judgment. In the meantime, I think we should be very thankful that that Jesus didn't listen to Peter's suggestion. Instead, Jesus reconciled his glory and he went to the cross in humility for humiliation. He went so that we could have our sin removed and one day we can enter into the full glory of God. This is what an American preacher, uh, Kim Riddleborger, comments on this passage. He says, let us not forget that God graciously veiled Christ's glory when he came to earth to save us from our sins. Had Jesus come in all his glory, he would have come in judgment, not mercy. Indeed, had God fully revealed his glory in Jesus on that mountain, Peter, James and John would have been consumed. This is why we must focus on those places where God reveals his son to us in the word and sacraments. 
Places where Jesus is revealed in such a way that sinners can freely approach and seek forgiveness and mercy, not judgment. And so friends, I want to encourage us for now to focus on those places. Those places where God's glory is shown to us in and through Jesus as he's revealed in the scriptures and as he's revealed in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's why this is so important. What we're doing here today, gathered worship is so important because it's here, gathered with God's people, that we enter through Jesus into the glory of the everlasting God. I suppose that moves us to our second point, the appearance of the Old Testament. As I've said, Peter didn't forget this event. It's something that sticks in his mind. Not only does he teach Mark about it, and it's recorded in Mark's Gospel, Peter mentions it in his second letter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we read this. Peter says, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter wants his readers to know the truth of Jesus. From his own personal experience. But he also wants us to know that what he saw is merely a confirmation of the teaching of the Old Testament. So he goes on in the next verse to say, We have the prophetic word confirmed. The the Bible is confirmed with the transfiguration. The transfiguration serves to confirm that Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. That's why Moses is here. That's why Elijah is here. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. By showing up, it's confirmed to us that the Old Testament is pointing us towards Jesus. Jesus is the new and better Moses. He not only received the law... He not only gave the law to the people, but he keeps the law. He keeps it on behalf of his people and gives us his righteous law-keeping goodness. He not only leads people out of temporary human oppression like Moses did from Egypt, Jesus leads us out of eternal and spiritual oppression for all time. In Jesus, we have a leader like Moses But Jesus' rule is perfect righteousness and justice. On the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus meets with Moses to show us that he is the fulfillment of everything Moses did and said and wrote. The whole Old Testament points us to Jesus. That includes the first five books, the, the, the books of law, and it includes all the books of prophecy. That's why Elijah is there. He's a prophet. He represents the prophets in the Old Testament. And he confirms Jesus 
to be the one that the prophecies point us to. And so today, well, we've read Psalm 40 and we've sung Psalm 40. And so we can say with confidence, Jesus is the one who lifts us from the muck and the mire. It is Jesus who sets our feet upon the rock. Not only that, it is Jesus who is the rock of God's righteousness. It is him we stand upon as we face God the Father. We face God with clear hearts, with cleansed consciences. It's through Jesus that we as sinful human beings are able to ascend the hill of the Lord and to be pure and spotless and righteous in his sight. It is Jesus who brings us into the glory of God. And so there's Elijah on the mountain. He shows us that even something as splendorous as Isaiah's vision, which we read at the start of our service, the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filling the temple, and seraphim covering their face and their feet, and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Will this transfiguration in Mark chapter 9 and Elijah's appearance here shows us that Jesus himself is the Lord of Isaiah 6. But then they start going down the mountain and the disciples are still confused. They've seen the glory of God in Christ, but there's still a question. What's all this about the resurrection? And so they ask about Elijah. And Jesus assures them that Elijah has come. In Matthew's gospel, we're told that Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. And so Mark writes in verse 12 that this only serves to enforce the truth that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He is the son of man, the glorious son of man who appears in the book of Daniel to receive everlasting power and dominion from the ancient of days. And Jesus is also the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who will die for the sins of his people. Friends, it is so immensely helpful for us as we read our Bibles to know this. It's all about Jesus. Some places require us to dig a little deeper. In others, it's more obvious But the whole thing, this whole book, is about Jesus. And about how through him we can be brought into the glory of God. That moves us to our final point. And I'm going to be quick on the final point. On the mountain of transfiguration we hear the transcendence of God the Father. Just as he did at the baptism of Jesus. At the transfiguration The Father speaks from heaven in an audible voice and he confirms Jesus to be the Son and he tells the disciples and he tells us that we should listen to him, hear him. So I want us to commit to doing that. I want us to hear Christ as he speaks in in God's word, as as he brings us before the throne of, of God and into the glory of God. 
Friends, that's why the Bible is so central to everything we do as Christian people in the church. It's my aim that each Sunday, the whole service is centred on the Bible. If you would like help to engage better with the whole service and to know what's going on in the entire service of worship, then please let me know. We can talk about that. Maybe you need help in your own personal life daily. If you would like a copy of some daily Bible reading notes, or maybe what, what I, I gave to some folks this time last year, the, the Bible in one year reading notes, it's not too late to start that. Then please let me know. There are many, many resources for daily Bible reading that I would recommend. Just ask. And something that I would like us to, to think through uh, more consciously in the coming year is how we in our homes can worship God daily. Whether that's on your own or, or maybe with family members gathered together. And I want you to know that Rebecca and I are, are working on some things to help you with that. Again, if you want to know any more about that, just speak to me. Through this new year, this year of 2022, in our own lives personally and in our family homes and here in worship on a Sunday, let's commit to listening to Jesus, to hearing him as he speaks in God's word. The transfiguration shows us that Jesus is the only one who can bring us into the glory of God. He does that through his death on the cross so that sinners like you and me can be brought into God's glory. In him we are made righteous. Because of him we have a perfect plea before God the Father. We're able to stand in God's glory and there's nothing more important in our lives, not one thing more important than entering into God's glory through Christ. That's what we were made for. We were made to, to be brought up the mountain, to come up the mountain with Jesus and enter into the glory of God. Friends, let me finish by saying, if you've never come to trust in Christ, if you have been ignoring that call from Jesus up to this point, today's the day. Don't leave it any longer than today. Speak to me after the service. Give me a phone call or a text later today. Let me know that we should pray about this. We should talk about this. How is it that we can enter into God's glory through Jesus? Let's pray together now.